This is Sunday Focus, a weekly public affairs program that looks at the topics affecting our society and the people who are making a change in the community each and every day. The people who have vision for the next generation. Sunday Focus presents new challenges for us, keeping you informed with topics of local and regional interest. Now the host of Sunday Focus, Christine Manica. Welcome back to another edition of Sunday Focus. It's been busy at the Capitol here in South Dakota and Pierre, they just wrapped up this year's legislative session and someone that has a perspective about what happened behind the scenes and someone that was part of this is South Dakota Representative Tyler Torsten. He is the representative for District 14 right here in Minnehaha. So Tyler, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Lots to go over with the latest session in Pierre, but before we do that, Let's hear a little bit more about you. So tell us where you're from, your position in peer, and just a little bit about your political background. Yeah, you bet. Well, again, thanks for having me. So I'm, I'm a lifelong South Dakotan. I'm 30 years old. I have uh, was born here in Sioux Falls. I grew up primarily out in Rapid City on the western side of the state. I'm a enrolled member of the Sisnawapton Sioux Tribe in northeastern South Dakota. I tell people I was a, a first-generation college student at the University of South Dakota down in Vermilion. Mm-hmm. And so I got, you know, some of the corners of the different parts of the state covered. I had relatives that lived and worked in Pier and fresh out of college, I lived and worked in Pier for, for two years before getting promoted and coming back down here to Sioux Falls. And so other than that northwestern corner of the state, I, I claim I got roots all across the state. And so um, that's, you know, my background. This, uh, we just wrapped up my first session. I'm a new legislator. Yeah. Uh, representing District 14. So that's Southeast Sioux Falls. I would say, you know, across the state, we have 35 legislative districts. They're all equal in size based on population. Uh, but my district is probably, I would say, the second smallest district as as, as far as geographic size goes. Mm. Pretty compact, packed full of families. Uh, it's um, Over in the southeast part of the state, it's Cliff Avenue to Veterans Parkway, 18th Street to 57th Street. So you can kind of visualize, I think it's like a two-mile radius. Yeah, so pretty, wow. Pretty small, yeah. So what about your political history? You know, were you a class president back in the day or how did you become interested in politics? So if I if I remember, I think I ran in fifth grade and lost, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always I don't know where it started, but I always had an interest in politics, um, both on a national level, but especially on a state level. And really, I, where I can pinpoint kind of my origin story, if you will, yeah. is is fourth grade. I was nine years old. Uh, for me, that was 9-11. Um, I had uh, my second and fourth grade teacher. She was our second grade teacher and then moved up and was our fourth grade teacher. She was a diehard patriot. I mean, she loved this country. She loved this state. Her husband was a game fish and parks guy. And so we had a fish tank with, with walleye in it, our, our state fish. And, oh, how cool. Yeah. And so we just, we got to know and love and appreciate South Dakota. And um, as you can imagine, with something as, as big as 9-11 happening, um, you know, it was a pretty traumatic experience. You know, she... I remember sitting in the bar stool in front of our classroom and just trying to explain to us what had happened. And um, again, just being the patriot that she was, she would bring in guest speakers every week. Mm-hmm. Um, we could bring in some or she would bring some and get them lined up. We'd had, uh, she was reminding me that we've had like U.S. senators in our class before, former U.S. senators that I didn't recall or didn't know at the time. Um, and we'd have World War II veterans and Vietnam vets that would come in and firefighters and you name it, you know, typical elementary school kind of presentation. But she brought in my local state senator. Uh, his name was Mac McCracken. Um, he came and spoke to our class. And a couple of weeks later, I ran into him at a parade in downtown Rapid City. 
and ran up to him and just said, Hey, you came and spoke to my class. And he thought that was so cool. And so he invited me to, he said, you should come, come visit when uh, the legislature's in session and peer and come spend the day with me. And so, you know, my mother being as nice as, and as good of a mom as she was to <laughs> help make it happen. Like I said, I had grandparents that lived and worked in peer. And so it was pretty easy for us to, to make the trip. My teacher made me a, a pretend lobbyist badge and business cards, and I was to report back to the class and go spent spent the day in in peer at the Capitol. And so, that was really the the I think the the catalyst, the huge moment in my head that I really became all in on South Dakota politics. So, twenty one years ago, uh, taking that in, getting to meet the governor, getting to gavel out the se- uh, the Senate side, going to committee sessions and that kind of thing. That year was a pre- um, not a presidential election year, but John Thune was running for the U.S. Senate for the first time. Mm-hmm. 2002 was a big gubernatorial election year, and he invited me to come take along with him to go see President Bush when he visited Mount Rushmore and just kind of became a mentor for me wow. at a super young age. And so it was always kind of there. Um, I got into college, like I said, a first-generation college student navigating that in Vermilion, so I was far enough away from Rapid City to where I was... In a new territory and on my own, but uh, it was still close enough and still in South Dakota to where I, if I needed to get home for anything, I could. You know, family was so important. Um, I was pre-med bio, poli-sci as a, as a hobby. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-med bio. Yeah. I wanted wow. to, I wanted to help people was the deal. And um, pol- political science was just a hobby. And uh, it was probably, I got involved in student organizations and started coming out of my shell with some of the leadership aspects and uh, managing and you know, working with student budgets and planning events and that kind of thing on top of just trying to be a good student, uh, <laughs> which I, I did okay. <laughs> um, and it got to my junior year. My advisors on campus were phenomenal. And they basically told me, you have to do the legislative internship. You need to go to peer. You, you got to take it in. And I had never done summer camps or anything like that before. And so it was kind of uncharted waters for me mm-hmm. to go try to find housing and live with some strangers and navigate a new the whole experience. Yeah. yeah. And I credit that as being dominoes um, that fell in place. They got me where I'm at today. I did that legislative internship 10 years ago in 2013 with the state Senate majority leader and then had awesome networking experience that summer applied for the governor's office internship and went back to peer and intern with governor Dugard and his team. Yeah. Uh, and went back to school and got fired up and ran for student senate. And then my super senior, I took five years because of switching majors halfway through. I ended up finishing econ and poli sci. But the um, my super senior year ran for student body president at USD, which was my first real kind of campaign, if you will. Sure, yeah. I think we had to get like 500 and some signatures to get on the ballot you know, raise money and did a televised debate and it was the real deal. I mean, Made I think it, cupcakes, buttons, anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. So we had <laughs> buttons. Yeah, for sure. And it was, uh, it was, I think it takes 50 signatures or so to get on the ballot to run for the legislature. So to get 500 on campus, you know, with students was a, a whole different experience, but I think it, it, it taught me a lot. Oh, for sure. Now this kind of goes into my next question. When you talked about your teacher bringing in different speakers, different, you know, representatives for South Dakota. What's something that they said that one of the speakers said that kind of stands in your mind to this day? And it kind of goes along with who or what inspired you to to run for your position now? You know, I, it, I can't necessarily pinpoint one specific thing that was said. I think it was watching leaders at different levels, both mm-hmm. local level, um, state legislature, 
um, university campus, and then at the state level too, you know, with the, like interning with the governor's office. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I interned in the governor's office, um, the summer of 2013, you know, I, you had to realize that you were the governor's office intern. So I wasn't just right next to the governor the whole time. I was working with his staff and he's got a big team to help make state government run and lead the executive branch. And so just seeing public servants in action, doing it, you know, for the right reason and trying to make a difference, I think was the biggest impact for me. That was a a reason why I stayed in politics that, you know, like I said, it was a, it was a hobby and I didn't think it would be a a career, but it ended up, um, you know, showing me that, like a medical field or like something else too, it's it's critical, it's important, uh, it's needed, and we need good people to do it. And so just that kind of encouragement from leadership along the way was really the catalyst to get me to, to stay with it. Awesome. If you are just listening, I'm being joined by South Dakota Representative Tyler Tortston. He represents the 14th district here in Minnehaha County. Now, this year's legislative session just finished and peer. So why don't you talk to us about the process of the session? When does it normally start and your daily routine while you're in session? Yeah. So the South Dakota legislature is a a part-time citizen legislature, we like to say. You know, in our constitution, it's mandated to be 40 days or less. So we meet every year. And within 40 working days, we are supposed to come in and introduce laws and hopefully pass good ones, kill bad ones, and uh, balance the state budget, which we've done for 134 consecutive years now. And uh, so it's a an awesome process right away. It's open to the public. People are, are welcome to come get involved. Um, you know, in South Dakota, sometimes you hear like lobbyists, right? I mean, there's certain words that are bad words. Mm-hmm. In South Dakota, a lot of our lobbyists are our neighbors. A lot of our legislators are our neighbors. Uh, people that are interacting, the citizens that are coming and advocating for proposals. It's all, it's still such a small state. Um, the other thing that I like to say too, is that our legislature has some natural accountability built into it. Uh, anything that the legislature comes in and ultimately passes that gets signed into law, it's either going to directly impact or we're going to feel it in our own homes or amongst our family and friends or from our neighbors, or we're going to see it, hear it. Like you can't pass something crazy here and get away with it and think that nobody's going to notice. Uh, so that, that also keeps us from, keeps us accountable. And most of our people, they go back to, um, go back to their jobs and their life or farming or banking or, you know, being parents or whatever it may be. And so, uh, it's a really unique process that I think is not necessarily true in all the other states across the country, but in South Dakota, I think we do it right. So what is that daily routine for you once first day or even the first week of session? Yeah, the first week is a little bit more, um, all a little bit more routine, I suppose. You know, we, we kick off, we convene right away in the morning for the first time, uh, finalize and elect all of our uh, constitutional leaders in the in the legislative branch, and then you know we do the the governor does her state of the state address um, on Wednesday. We do the state of the judiciary address, and we do a state of the tribes address, which has been around for a couple years now, which is also really good and really neat um, and unique to South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And then we get rolling. Uh, so a typical day. Uh, usually that first week or so, it takes a little while for bills to get introduced. Legislators have uh, a set amount of days that you can introduce bills and resolutions. And then uh, everybody has committee assignments. And so sometimes some people have a couple more than others. I think in the Senate, usually they have about three committees that they're a part of. I was on two. This year I was on the education and the judiciary committees in the House. And so I had, a, I think, a perfect schedule. I had uh, my committees met Monday, Wednesday, Friday, back to back in the same room. And so uh, 
it gets to be so busy that you you literally lose track of what day of the week it is. And for me, the saving grace was, okay, did I have committee this morning or not? It must be Wednesday, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and some people will have it mixed between, you know, Tuesday, Thursday committees and Monday, Wednesday committees, that kind of thing. So committees meet in the morning. Uh, the first block, 745 to 945. Second committee block meets from 10 to uh, noon. And then most of us, you know, House Republicans, House Democrats, Senate Republicans, Senate Democrats will go caucus. They'll go meet in their own their own kind of groups and strategize what's what's coming up on the floor today. Uh, what are some business that we need to know? Here's some announcements. And, um, and, you know, we're able to have kind of conversations that way. And then we go on the floor, usually in the afternoon, about 2 p.m., gavel in, and we'll do some of the, the typical routine business, take any um, oh, announcements or... Uh, updates from different branches and motions and resolutions and then consent calendar items and then get into the actual floor debates and start voting on bills. So typically the first couple of weeks are a little bit slower as things ramp up, mm-hmm. bills get introduced, get assigned to committees, those committee hearings get, get underway. And then about the middle part of session, early February, it gets really busy. Uh, that's We have crossover date or every bill. The unique thing about South Dakota too, I'll say, is that uh, every bill introduced gets a hearing. That's not true in Congress. That's not true in a lot of states. Mm. Um, that's, again, unique to South Dakota, but a, a positive one that benefits the public overall. Every bill introduced gets a hearing. And it may not make it out of the first committee. It may die in committee. But every bill getting a hearing like that allows public testimony, allows the opportunity for people to advocate for ideas that they think are good or to come testify and say why this is this is not good policy for South Dakota. And so there's a lot of things like that with people in mind that have been really good in South Dakota. So your first session, what were the easiest parts for you and what was something a little bit more challenging? So I forgot to mention this early on, uh, outside a session, um, kind of my day job, if you will, since I graduated college since 2015, has been working with uh, U.S. Senator Mike Rounds. Mm-hmm. I run his Sioux Falls office now. I've been with him since a couple months into his term. And so that's taught me a lot of leadership, South Dakota leadership. You know, he's a former governor, former legislator himself. Um, and now our two-term senator, that taught me a lot of constituent service work. And so I think the easiest part for me was, again, being a kind of a nerd on the South Dakota political (laughs) process since I was nine years old, Uh, you know, and I having interned before, I kind of knew where everything was. I kind of knew what the process was like. There's been some uh, technology upgrades since I interned, but for the most part, being able to hit the ground running was a a huge advantage for me. Mm -hmm. Um, The constituent service interaction of how to respond to constituents, how to be accessible, um, how to, you know, read the bills and understand kind of what what was going on and seeing some of the committees in action. So knowing kind of the flow of committees mm-hmm. and when to ask questions and how to how to follow procedure and process. Um, that part was easier, I think, than maybe a typical new member would have experienced. I think probably the most challenging part, some of the votes. Yeah. I mean, some of the, you know, the, there's a little bit of that weight on your shoulders of, this this again could impact lives here, and so you know, what are we are we making sound policy decisions in South Dakota? Uh, you know, do I support this? Do I vote against it? You know, what are my constituents in my district, my neighbors thinking about this? And then trying to look at it from a statewide lens at times too. Uh, is this a good investment or not? A lot of the different bills. I mean, we we tackled so many different subjects. Some of them with price tags, some of them without. Some of them cleanup language. Some of them super easy. Those tough votes, I think, were really really hard at the time. Um, once you make that vote though, you can't, you can't dwell on it too much. You just got to stick with your decision. You got to be able to stick to your values and understand 
why you made the decision that you did. And so I've learned that a little bit along the way, but it was pretty hard at first on some of the challenging votes. If you could make a rough estimate, how many bills do you think you read this session? So not counting like resolutions or commemorations, mm-hmm. you know, commemorations are more, uh, you know, recognizing the local high school team for their state A championship sure. or something like yeah. that. But actual bills this year, we, the, the count was down a little bit from previous years, which isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had about 450 bills introduced this year between the house and the Senate. Uh, I think at my, my most recent look, and it's all settled now, I think 214 or so bills were passed this year. So that shows about a 50% success rate of bills that made it all the way through both committees, both chambers, and to the governor for her consideration. I know she signed over 100 bills into law already. She's vetoed four, and she's got quite a few on her desk for her consideration yet. But I would say I probably read, if I had to guess, at least two-thirds of them. Uh, it's hard to be able to make the time to read all of them. I thought I was going to have time to, you know, sit at home and read books in the evenings and whatever. And it was just go, go, go with reading and responding to emails and uh, reading the bill texts and any amendments that get posted and what questions do I want to ask in committee. I would say probably close to 300 bills I read. You try to prioritize what's coming before me in my committee and what's coming before me for a decision on the floor. Mm-hmm. There were certainly lobbyists and advocates that would come and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this bill, and, and it's really important to me, and here's where it's at. And then to find out, well, it's still a com- committee that I'm not on yet. It might not even make it out of that committee. You know, I might not even have the opportunity to vote on this, even if I wanted to. So having to just prioritize, you know, what bills am I going to review now and when? So were you nervous? It's a silly question to ask, but being your first session and really thinking to yourself, gosh, I'm making a difference for South Dakotans across the state. Oh, there's there's an element of nervousness to it. You know, I think the first first time speaking on the floor, first time speaking in committee, you know, you got those those nervous jitters of yeah. cameras are on and people could go back and see this if you really mess up or you know say something <laughs> stupid. And so um, there was that that element of nervousness too. And then again too, I mean, the weight of of making this decision. Um, it's also pretty humbling too. you know, I, again, I have so much appreciation for our process and uh, seeing it work and trying to make sure that we do it right. Uh, you know, there'd be times that you'd probably catch me on camera zoning off and looking up at the ceiling and just like, look at this. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the chamber. Yeah. yeah. Or seeing like the chandeliers and the history of, you know, this place has been here for over a hundred years yeah. and you know, I get to sit here and not get kicked off the floor. I actually get to push the button to vote. In the House, we have buttons, you know, yes, no, and then a mm-hmm. microphone button. In the Senate, it's all verbal. Uh, but being able to be there and be part of the process, I think that has an element of nervousness and humbleness to it every day that got me. Well, I know that people who are listening right now can't see you, but uh, you don't look nervous. He's not a, <laughs> no, he's pretty confident in everybody. Once again, I'm being joined by South Dakota Representative Tyler Torsten. He is the representative for District 14 in Minnehaha County. So you already talked about the bills that were passed. Can you talk about some of those, the big ones that are really making the headlines nowadays? Yeah, you know, it was kind of interesting to see, you know, I, I've kept a pulse on the legislature for the last couple of years just as an engaged citizen mm-hmm. uh, and somebody who cares and enjoys the process. And you never know, you always hear about, there's so many bills that don't get talked about. There's so much good work that we do or bills sure. that pass, you know, 67 to three or 70 to zero or pass on the consent calendar uh, that don't make any headlines. And then it's the one that do make headlines. And so it was kind of fun being on this side of it and seeing, uh, you know, 
what the media would grab onto, what people were or hearing and writing about mm-hmm. uh, versus what we saw come through every day. Um, so getting back to your question, I guess, of, of some of the bills that passed or some of the ones that didn't, um, you know, I think a lot of the ones that, that didn't, there's a variety of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just, it was thrown together too quick. Sometimes it's a difference of, uh, of opinion of what a majority of, uh, we think South Dakotans want. Some of it was bill mechanics that it just, there was too many unanswered questions yet. Some of them would get really close and they lose by, by one vote. And, you know, we can reconsider and try it again. There was a couple of those this year too. But like I said, there was a huge variety of, of bill subjects that we tackled this year. Um, some of the more controversial ones that, you know, did make some of the headlines. Uh, HB 1080 was the, uh, branded as the help not harm bill. That one was, uh, you know, involving um, certain medical procedures with transgender, uh, mm-hmm. you know, children and that kind of thing. There was a imminent domain kind of carbon pipeline bills. There was multiple of them. Most of them didn't get out of committee. One did, and that was a pretty contentious uh, vote on the House floor and ended up dying over in the Senate. Um, obviously, our budget at the end the last week was a big, big, big deal that we have to do every year. Uh, but this year it was a really good, I think a really good process. We saw a lot of camaraderie uh, with the, the the third floor, we call it, which is the legislative floor of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Second floor is more executive. Uh, so between the House and the Senate, especially us on the House side, we just had, um, to my to my surprise a little bit, a lot of camaraderie this year. That's always good to hear, though, because you hear so, you hear a couple of times, I should say, that there are people that tend to butt heads a little bit. But it's nice to see that there is a, family-like feel when you are getting together and making decisions together. Yeah. It's, you know, the, in the house side, you know, we have 63 Republicans, seven Democrats. Uh, so it's a, you know, super more, super majority Republican group. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, it's no secret to anybody that's been kind of keeping in touch with the process that it's been a, a rough couple of years in the legislature, uh, primarily in the house, but just in general. Uh, so for this year to, again, we kept waiting for everything to get off the rails. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had, the, I think, the largest new member class in a long time. About 40% of the the house was all new members. Um, and although we were new members, a lot of us kind of had different experiences. There's tons of uh, former school board members and mm-hmm. small town mayors and city councilors and county commissioners, retired sheriffs that were all part of the new member class, too, that just really did a really good job this year. And that, I think, played a huge factor as well. What bill do you think will benefit South Dakota the most and why? Senate Bill 210 was our General Appropriation Act. That was the big final budget that we voted on the last day of the regular session, our 37th legislative day. This year, part of it is because of, you know, federal, um, you know, like COVID relief dollars and federal surplus dollars. There was a, a hundreds of millions of dollars in excess, but also South Dakota's growing. We're recruiting people. Our sales tax growth uh, was in the double digits for consecutive years. And so, you know, our economy is good. We talk about South Dakota being the best place in the nation to uh, live, work, and raise a family. And people love to visit here as well, too. And so we had a lot of money this year to work with, both on an ongoing basis and on a one-time basis. The governor in December proposes, you know, her budget of how she thinks that those dollars should be spent and making strategic investments while making sure our budget is balanced. And so us as a legislature, we took a lot of that 
uh, there were some things that, that got changed in the end that um, as bu- budget revenue estimates went up in February, we realized we were able to make some more investments. And uh, some of her proposals didn't make it to the end, but a large of a large amount of them did. Some of them aren't super popular, like upgrading the the state's, uh, you know, IT systems, mm-hmm. uh, the motor vehicle, you know, titling system too, which is super mm-hmm. critical, but uh, not super sexy to talk about, you know. <laughs> but there were some really good one-time investments that we did. Um, economic development projects that'll create a huge amount of return on research and economic activity for um, all across the state. But on the the overall budget, can I get into your question? This year, we were able to deliver the largest tax cut in state history. Uh, it was a, valued at about $104 million. There was three major tax cut proposals that were, were pitched. Um, one was the one that the governor was shooting for, which was a grocery sales tax, mm-hmm. taking that from 4.5% down to, down to zero. Uh, reducing the overall uh, sales and use tax um, down to the original proposal was from 4.5% down to 4%. We settled on 4.2%. And then there was a property tax relief. Um, It ended up becoming like a rebate program that was proposed. At the end, they're just... The legislative branch, the House in particular, just really rallied around lowering the overall sales tax rate. And so being able to vote on and deliver the largest sales tax cut in history, the largest tax cut in South Dakota history, was awesome in the first year. On top of that, we went over and above some of the governor's recommendations on, they call them the big three. So we went 7% increase to education, which is the largest we've seen since they raised taxes Mm -hmm. to fund teacher pay in 2016. That's what raised the rate from 4% or 4.5%. And so making a huge investment in in education, a Mm -hmm. huge investment for Medicaid providers, making a huge investment in state employees uh, was all awesome. We were able to keep college affordable at our our tech schools and our universities by freezing tuition. Listening to the the will of the voters with Medicaid expansion, we funded and implemented that this year and then pre-funded next year so that we don't get hit with a huge cost once that really gets going and takes off. Uh, so being responsive to those needs, trying to help stop the bleeding of these nursing home facilities closing, uh, which is super critical to families mm-hmm. and, and their loved ones across the state, both in rural and urban settings. So the budget bill, I think this year, all the wins that we were able to include in it, taking care of people taking care of our next generation and balancing the budget and delivering a tax cut. I couldn't have asked for a better, a better first year and a first budget to, to get my hands on. That's a feather in your cap too. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, I bet it does. Now really quickly. Can we talk about some of the bills that governor Nome actually vetoed this session? You said so far as of right now, four of them have been vetoed. She's got, quite a handful of bills that are still up for her consideration to either sign. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't sign, it automatically becomes law. Otherwise, she can veto and send it back to us for our consideration on veto day on March 27th. So coming up here pretty quick. And then we get to decide whether we try to override it, which takes a two-thirds majority of both chambers, or do we sustain the veto by not overriding it? And so one, we already tackled a bid tax. They call it a business improvement district. That was really for some of the larger communities that goes to kind of tourism and kind of marketing dollars. So that one we weren't able to override. One that's been getting a lot of headlines in the last week here is is the UCC. They call it the Uniform Commercial Code. Mm. That one, there's, I think, a lot of mis, misinformation kind of floating about there. There's a lot of confusion. I think what threw this one off, I think it was 100, 114 or 119 pages long. And a lot of it was... It was just easier style and form wise to do it that way to, to showcase the amendment. But I think that caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, so we'll have that one to consider. One on kind of education that was 
just doing a minor tweak to a law to protect mm-hmm. teachers from kind of assault. Uh, if there's any any assault actions at, mm-hmm. at at a school event, if you will. Gosh, there's one more than I'm blanking on too. Oh, it was the they call it sip and spit. It was a she's branding it as the underage drinking bill. I voted oh, against that yes. one. <laughs> I, vo- I voted against that one in the education committee. And then again, on the floor, I understand some of the concern or some of the, the value and why the people were bringing the bill. Uh, that was one of those ones when it, it made it all the way through the Senate, made it to the house committee, made it to the house floor and then came up one vote short. And so we reconsidered it and one person was willing to change their vote. So they passed it and sent it to the governor. And so, you know, she vetoed that one. That one will be pretty tough to pick up. That one was one that they passed a couple of years ago to allow 21-year-olds to, you know, to have like a brewery class, if mm-hmm. you want, like an elective on a college campus, or if you're studying, you know, like ethanol or that kind of thing too. Uh, this was trying to lower that age from 21 down to 18. And a lot of the concerns that people had were just that it's a little bit of a slippery slope or you know, we had just allowed this for 21 year olds like two or three years ago so it's still a pretty new program again most of the time 90 percent of the classes are electives anyway once again it's south dakota representative tyler torston he is representative for the district 14 here in minnehaha now you said that it was a great first session for you and i'm sure people want to ask you more questions about this year's session and, and going forward. So Tyler, if anybody has any questions or concerns for you, how can people contact you? Yeah. So good question. I, I try to put as much contact information out there as possible mm-hmm. because honestly, we want to hear from people in our state, specifically in our district, but even just from South Dakotans in general, shows us that you guys are listening and engaged and you have issues that you want to raise to us that we can help. Um, so the legislative website is really handy. It's sdlegislature.gov. And so you can find legislator contacts. You can find who your legislator is. You can find all the different bills and what passed. And you can, it's even got a lot of the archive stuff going back 20-ish years and stuff too. So that, social media pages, website, all the information's out there, email, Facebook. All right, awesome. Once again, Tyler Torsten, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sunday Focus is a public affairs program of Results Radio, Town Square Media, Sioux Falls.